Thank you, Hayes, Kelly, choir, Greg, team. Thank you guys for leading us in worship. Glad that we get to celebrate today. Hey, grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Luke chapter 2, verse 8 is where we're going to be today as we continue our Advent series called O Come. We are celebrating the coming of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad that you've come to worship him here today. Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 8 is where we'll begin in just a moment. Thank you, Hayes. I appreciate it. Luke chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, while you were turning there, uh, I hope that you're going to get a chance to go to a Christmas party or two during the Christmas season. It's December. It is the time of parties. And uh, more likely than not, you receive some sort of an invitation. Maybe it's for a community group party. Maybe it's for a, a work Christmas party. Maybe it's just a you know, friends and family, somebody. But there's usually a party or two uh, that we get invited to. That's kind of the fun of the season. We get to celebrate, enjoy a lot of great food, and have a lot of fellowship. Uh, but for the swankiest parties, you don't simply get an invitation. You also get an RSVP. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, those little cards that come in it. If you go to a wedding, typically they come with that. But for super swanky parties, for like the really ritzy parties, they not only say, hey, you are invited. I want you to come. They also send a little card or something that is called an RSVP and they ask for you to reply. Now, I need to make a confession in front of all of us. I'm so sorry. I am terrible at RSVPs. I am. I'm horrible. I always have been. Allison has tried to reform me. It's not working. Uh, I, I mean, look, I'm just not, I, and I don't know what it is. I'm a little bit better than I used to be, but I'm not. Like, And people make it easy for you, right? If, you're, if it's a wedding thing, they spend money on it. They, they've gone so far, like they'll address it for you. They'll put a stamp on it. All you got to do is check the little thing, put it in the, the, the basket, like put it in the mail. I can't do it. I can't. I, you get it somewhere between getting that thing. I said, well, I got to check my calendar, right? I got to do this thing, and this would shock you. I get distracted, and then other things happen. And the next thing you know, it's like time for the event. I'm like, oh, did I send that thing in? I don't know. Can I go now? I don't know. Because I did not send in the RSVP. Now, look, this is a very, it's an important deal. Uh, RSVP is a French phrase. It's réponse vous plaît. It simply means reply, please. Like, it's even nice, right? In the thing, please. Would you please just tell us that you're coming? Would you tell us that, yes, you have gotten this and that you are going to come to the event, and it's just a courtesy to say, yes, I am going to come. Thank you so much for the invitation. I am going to come. But those t- things typically go in hand in hand, an invitation and a response. And we see both of those here at Christmas. Uh, look, if you've been with us the past couple of weeks, we've been going through the, our Advent series entitled, O Come. And you hear that phrase a lot during the Christmas season through a lot of our carols. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the, the, the carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Last week, we followed that up looking at, at Simeon and Anna. And these past two weeks, we've been showing that Christmas is not simply about looking back to the fact that Jesus has come. We also look forward to the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. The reason that Christmas doesn't lose its meaning is because we're all still waiting we join in with, with, with the carolers and with the, the chorus with, with John and Revelation to say, come Lord Jesus. We are waiting for his second coming. So every Christmas is a reminder that Christ is coming and we say, oh, come Lord Jesus to us. 
But we are not the only ones saying that phrase. Just as much as we say to the Lord, oh, come, he also says it back to us. It's also something that Jesus is saying to us. The Lord is giving us an invitation. He says, oh, won't you come to me? Even now at Christmas, yet again, oh, won't you come to me? He gives us a personal invitation and invites us to encounter him. He invites us to know him, to experience him. And that's not simply something that happened 2,000 years ago. That's happening right now. He is inviting us. He is saying to you and to me, oh, won't you come? Oh, won't you experience me even now? And you can actually see that all throughout our Christmas story. So I want to look today at the people who received an invitation to come and be there at the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, look, if you were, uh, many of you have been involved in a wedding or planning a wedding before. Many of you have been in a wedding. But you, you understand that if you're planning a wedding, typically uh, a wedding venue will only seat a certain number of people, right? So there's a top number of people that you can actually invite. You can't just invite everybody. So now you've got to start asking questions. Okay, so who do we invite? Well, you start out with the most important people, right? Family. Family's got to be there. That's really big. Super close friends. Yes, they got to be there. That's super important. And then you get like, you know, little, you know, maybe coworkers, other people, neighbors, people that you like, relatives. You invite all those. And then once you get past that, that initial phase of most important people, if you've got room to spare, then you can start moving into outer layers. Like, you know, like friends of friends or more distant coworkers. And, and you kind of fill out the space. But you always start with the most important, which begs a question, when it comes to the birth of Jesus Christ, who does the Lord invite? Who does the Lord purposely invite to the greatest event of all time, the birth of the Son of God into the world? Who does he invite? And we're going to look at a couple passages today. Well, the first people that Jesus invites are Mary and Joseph. Now, those are gimmies, right? You got to invite them, okay? That's, that's a no-brainer. You got to talk to Mary. She's going to birth the Son of God. You should probably tell her. So she gets an angelic visitor that says, Mary, you're going to birth the Son of God. Had to tell her. Got to tell Joseph, right? Joseph is engaged to said Mary, who is now pregnant, and he's not responsible. We should probably tell him what's going on. Joseph, guess what? going to have the Son of God, you are going to raise the Messiah, all right? They've got to be involved. And so these seem like gimmies. you got to tell Mary and Joseph. But let's think about it a little deeper. Who are Mary and Joseph? For us as believers, they're household names. But before this moment, before those angels show up, they're nobody. It's a couple of teenagers. A couple of teenagers living in a backwater town in a backwater province of the Roman Empire. It doesn't even rank in the top five of Roman provinces. They're nobodies. They don't come from some very rich line of uh, family. They, they, their, their family has not achieved some great, great feat of um, spirituality that has earned them this right. God picks these two people who are otherwise unknown and says, I want to bestow upon you the unique and incredible responsibility of birthing and raising the Son of God. Unbelievable. To people you would never expect, Jesus gives an invitation 
But secondly, we get another group of people. We find the shepherds. And so look at Luke 2, starting in verse 8. Listen to what it says is happening on the night of Jesus' birth. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out on the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Stop right there. This is one of the most famous Christmas passages. You've probably heard this over and over. If you're a Charlie Brown fan, you know this one. And so we, we've heard this. And if you've got a nativity scene at home, you've got the shepherds. They show up as part of the nativity scene. But it begs the question, who are these guys? And we have no idea. They don't get names. They never get names. This isn't foreshadowing. It's not like David is hiding with these shepherds and later on one of these guys grows up to do some amazing, incredible thing. They don't have names before. They don't get names after. No one has any idea who they are. They are literally nobodies. They are shepherds working the night shift. And yet God has chosen to send them a personal invitation to come and witness the birth of the Messiah. That is incredible. And please understand, this is not accidental. This is on purpose. It's not as if like the angels were on parade, just kind of making their way there and they happen to pass the shepherds. They're kind of moving along. The shepherds are like, look at that. And, and, and they just see them happening. They just happen to be in the flight path of the angels as they were heading over to the manger. No, this is on purpose. Look at verse 11 and notice what it says there. Uh, in verse 11 it says, for unto you is born this day. He's speaking directly to them. Look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. This is specific. This is intentional. God reaches out to people that everybody else overlooked. God reaches out to people that nobody else even knows their name. And he gives them a specific personal invitation. They get to see the greatest birthday party song there has ever been. They see the most incredible happy birthday Jesus that will ever be sung. They get a front row seat to this incredible show. Why? Well, he says it right there in verse 10. It says, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, all of them, not some of them, not the most worthy, not the smartest or most powerful, not the richest or most talented or most charismatic or most popular. He says, this message, this good news, this savior is for all the people and so I want you to come. When you see the shepherds in the manger scene, you might as well just put a placard underneath them and just put your name. I can put my name there because they represent us. When the Lord comes to these shepherds personally, specifically, and says, guys, you'll never believe it, but the Messiah is born and I want you to come. It is a sign that the Lord himself 
is inviting you to come experience him. So I think for some of us, we just assume that we've been overlooked. Some of you feel that way. Maybe it's been a rough couple years and you just wonder if God's forgotten you. You wonder if, if God's just more interested in, in those other people. You maybe see him moving in other people's lives and say, well, God must care about them, but I don't know if he cares about me. You might feel overshadowed or forgotten. And you start to wonder, I, I, just, I know God cares about the world, but I just don't know if he cares about me specifically. And if that's a concern for you, can, can you not see Jesus sending angels to shepherds and recognizing he hasn't forgotten you. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. He understands your pains. He understands your hurts. And even though the world may have overlooked you and the world may count you as invisible and the world may not know your name, your heavenly father does. He knows the very hairs on your head. And he has not forgotten you. And he says, listen, I'm giving this invitation to you. You may think you're overlooked, but I don't. You get a personal engraved invitation to experience Christ at Christmas. You see that in the shepherds, but they're not the only ones who get uh, an invitation. We also have the wise men. Look at this and we'll look at some of the passages too. Here's Matthew chapter two, verses one and two. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, again, the wise men are kind of household names for us. We understand who they are. We we, we see them in the crash. We see them in the nativity scenes. We're just aware. We we know about the we three kings of of Orient are. We, we, We get all of that, but really dive into to how weird it is that Jesus sends an engraved invitation to these guys. Because again, it begs the question, who are they? Who are these wise men? And again, we don't know. Tradition has given them names. Those aren't their real names. We, we don't know who they are because scripture doesn't tell us who they are. We don't even know where they come from. It says that they are wise men from the east. Now, the best guess is that these are magi. Magi typically hail from Persia. And that would make sense because that's where Daniel was. Daniel was a wise man, a very influential wise man during the Babylonian captivity. We looked at that this past summer. And while Daniel was there, he had a lot of influence, which means that a lot of those other Persian wise men would have been exposed to the Hebrew scriptures. They would have had access to the Hebrew scriptures. And so way far away from where Jesus Christ is born, Jesus, the Lord sends a star to them. He writes it in the stars and says, a new king has been born. You should come and worship him. And these guys says, that sounds like a good idea. Let's go. Now, what they're practicing here is astrology. They are looking to the heavens and expecting that the stars can tell the future, that the stars can actually tell you what's going on in the world and what's about to go on in the world. This was rampant in the ancient Near East. Uh, The Romans did this consistently. I mean, look, if a comet showed up, everybody went into a tizzy. It could mean all kinds of different things if a comet showed up. This is also spoken of as divination in scripture. Here's the problem, though. 
both astrology and divination are specifically condemned in Scripture. You're not supposed to do that. There is no wisdom in the stars. You can't find wisdom in the stars. You can find wisdom in the one who made the stars, but there's no wisdom in the course of the stars. P.S., if you're still looking at a horoscope, stop it. (laughs) Stupid, all right? Just, I, there's, I, I can't even go off on that tangent. But look, it's, it doesn't even make sense. I can't go there. All right, look. Not only that, it's not okay. Look at this in Isaiah. This is Isaiah 47. Uh, Isaiah's being sarcastic here. He's mocking them. Uh, and this is what he says. He says, stand fast in your enchantments and your many sorceries, which with you, which with you labored from your youth. Perhaps you may be able to succeed. Perhaps you may inspire terror. You are wearied with your many counsels. Let them stand forth and save you. Those who divide the heavens, who gaze at the stars, who at the new moons make known what shall come upon you. Behold, they are like stubble. The fire consumes them and they cannot deliver themselves from the power of the flame. He says, you're gonna get burned up. There is no wisdom for you. There is no wisdom here. And so it seems a little bit odd then that the Lord would actually use stars to tell these so-called wise men about the birth of Jesus Christ. What's he doing? This is not a justification for astrology. This is not a justification for sin. It is a sign that the Savior has come to save sinners. When Jesus Christ reaches out to wise men in the East, he is telling us something. He says, look, this Messiah is not just gonna be for the people here in Israel. He's not just going to be for the most righteous in the world. He says, no, I have come to save sinners. Even though these wise men who don't know their right hand from their left, who don't have any actual wisdom, I have come for them too, and I'm gonna send them an invitation because I want them to come to salvation like everybody else. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loves the world. The world, that word means the, the, the world, the system of values that has set itself against the Lord and his anointed. The world, the sinful world, the rebellious world. For God loves the sinful world so much that he sends his son to save us. And so when the Messiah is born, he doesn't just find the most righteous people, the the, the Pharisees or the the scribes or, or whoever. No, he puts a star in the sky to guide people from far away to say, though you don't even know what you truly need, I've come to save you too. Which means if you're here today wondering whether God is willing to forgive you or not, the answer is yes. It may be that you're here today and you had not been in church in a long time. It could be that you're not even here. You're watching online or you're, you're listening to this as a, a podcast, who knows when and who knows where. And the reason you're not here is because you just don't know if God wants you anymore. Because you know what you did. And you say, Adam, I, I, I tried, but I'm, I'm not very good at this. I failed, I messed up, I, I did the thing I shouldn't have done. I said I wasn't gonna do anymore, and then I did. 
And I just don't know if God can forgive this. I don't know if he wants me around. I'm sure he wants you guys around and to all the other people, but he doesn't want me around. And even if he did want me around, he'd put me at the end of the line. I'd need to wait for everybody else. And then maybe possibly sort of kind of, if he had some extra time or an extra seat, maybe he'd want to talk to me. When you look at the wise men, can you not recognize that Jesus is still reaching out to you? No matter who you are or what you've done or where you've been, there's not a sin you've committed that it puts you so far away from God that he excludes you from his invitation to come and experience him. To come and find forgiveness in him. To come and find eternal life in him. If God can reach out to these wise men lost in their own astrology. If God can give grace to them, do you not know that he'll give grace to you too? Do you not know that he's offering that to you too? You don't have to tell me or anybody else what you've done. God already knows. And yes, it's a problem. But that's why this baby was born. This very child will grow up and give his new life to pay for those very sins, yours and mine and all of ours. He says, I've come to give you a solution for sin and it's not gonna come in the stars and it's not gonna come in your wisdom. It won't come in your power or your stuff or whatever else it is. The only solution you have, it's in me. So he's gonna send you a personal engraved invitation and says, won't you come? Don't disqualify yourself. Don't put yourself at the back of the line. Don't assume that I don't want to talk to you. When God reaches out to wise men, he's saying, I've come for you too. Won't you come? You've been invited. Won't you come? And look, Jesus will continue this out throughout his life. He will continue to invite people that everybody else seemed to have overlooked. He'll invite the disciples and say, won't you come and follow me? And they will leave their nets, these fishermen, people who flunked out of the Bible school, a tax collector who couldn't get near the synagogue if he tried, a zealot, a terrorist. He takes them all and says, oh, won't you come? Won't you come and follow me? And they do. And he changes them and through them changes the world. He gives the invitation to the burdened, the overwhelmed. In Matthew 11, he'll say this, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you find yourself overwhelmed, if you find yourself burdened by the the law, burdened by the things of this world, if you find yourself in a place where you can't make it on your own, Jesus says, won't you come to me and find life? Won't you come to me and find rest? Won't you come to me and find the eternal life that I made you for? He's giving you an invitation. He even offers this to children. Later on, Jesus is doing his ministry. Uh, A bunch of children are are coming up. Parents want uh, Jesus to to bless their children and the disciples are are shooing people away. The important rabbi has better things to do. The, The important Messiah has more important things to do than to take selfies with your kids. Stop it, go away. The important rabbi is doing important things to which Jesus has a different reply. Look what he says here. Matthew 19, verses 13 through 15, it says, Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus says, Let the little children come to me, and don't hinder them, 
for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. For all the kids in the room who say, I don't have anything to offer, Jesus has come to me. For all the children who simply run with abandon, Jesus doesn't say, well, you gotta wait till later. You gotta wait till you're smarter. Wait till you've done more. Wait till you know more. He says, just come to me. He sends this invitation out. He starts it at Christmas. He sends it throughout his ministry. Oh, won't you come? The most incredible invitation of all time has been given to you and to me when you see all of these people in the Christmas narrative, when you see it throughout Jesus' ministry, you cannot fail to understand that he's not simply sending it to them, he's sending it to you. And when I say you, I mean you individually, personally, specifically to you right now through this text. At this moment in 2021, he's giving you an invitation He says, you're not excluded. Why do you disqualify yourself? You're not overlooked. Why do you keep yourself away? You have not been rejected. Why do you isolate yourself? He invites you. Won't you come? Won't you experience me? Won't you find life in me? Won't you stop chasing the things of the world and instead come and experience new life in me? This is what he started at Christmas and what he has done ever since. He is giving you this incredible invitation. Won't you come? It's the most incredible thing you and I will ever experience. It's the most incredible invitation you and I will ever receive. He says, won't you come? It is by far the most incredible, awesome invitation we could ever have imagined. And he gives it to you. It's amazing. Or is it? We said before that there are two things that go hand in hand. There's an invitation and a response. And while some of us know about that invitation and we hear the invitation, for many of us, we don't get to the place where we actually respond to it. But until we respond to it, there's not any actual joy or fulfillment. And so that response is really necessary. Jesus tells a parable later in his ministry. Look at this in Luke 14. Uh, He's actually at a banquet and he tells a parable about a banquet. That seems a little on the nose. And so he's with everybody and look what it says in verse 15. It says, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Okay. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Yikes. 
well, it seems like I'm not the only one who has problem with wedding RSVPs. <laughs> this is like a perennial thing. So he tells a story about a guy who's putting on a banquet and he's already sent out the RSVPs and everybody said they're coming. So they did check the RSVP. They said they're coming, but it comes time for the banquet. And as it's getting ready to happen, the guys say, well, I can't come. I know I said I was coming, but I can't come. Why not? And then they offer up lame excuses. And they really are lame. Like, like the commentators wrestle with this. So they're going, well, maybe there were some, like, some actual reason. No, there's not. I, I mean, they're lame, and they're meant to sound lame. The first one says, well, I just bought a field, and I got to go see it. Why? Why? Why now? It's a banquet. It's not a two-week cruise. Like, you can go see it tomorrow. You can go see it today. You own it. How come you got to go see it now? I got to go see it now. Hey, I just bought five yoke of oxen. I got to go try them out. All right, if you need five yoke of oxen, you have a ton of land. Like if you need five yoke, that's a ton of it, which means you're very wealthy and you probably have people to go try them out. How come you need to go look at them now? They're probably having dinner, those oxen. Why don't you go to dinner? Why can't you come to the banquet? Now, the third guy doesn't even make up an excuse. I just got married can't come. I don't even know what that means. He just, I mean, he doesn't even come up with like an excuse. He just says, bah, and then leaves. And, and so the master of the banquet is understandably frustrated and angry. These are people who said they wanted to come. These are people who said, yes, I am coming. And then they don't. Why? It really does beg the question, why? Why wouldn't you go to a banquet? It's a free banquet. Why wouldn't you come to the banquet, especially given by somebody so powerful, so important, so amazing? Why would you not come to the banquet? And there's probably a couple reasons. I don't know all of them, but I would imagine a couple. Number one would be this. Maybe they just don't understand how amazing it is. Maybe they just don't get how amazing it is. You ever missed a party and then found out the party was way more epic than you thought it was going to be? Like it was like, dude, you so missed it. Like if you weren't here for the piano thing, Thursday night, you missed it. You did. It was awesome. There's all kinds of parties that if, if you miss it, I mean, that's a tough deal. I'm, I'm not a huge Oprah fan, but you remember when Oprah used to like give out random stuff at different shows, like you'd show up sometimes and she'd give out like cars to everybody in the thing. Imagine if you had tickets to see Oprah and like, ah, I'm going to go get lunch. And like your friend comes back, I got a car. I wish I had gone. <laughs> Don't even care if you're like Oprah. I'll take the car. I missed it. You had an invitation. You didn't take it. Maybe you just didn't understand how amazing this was going to be. Maybe you didn't understand just how incredible it is. I think for some people, when Jesus Christ, the Son of God, offers us eternal life, we just don't appreciate and understand what this is. For God to lay aside his glory and to become flesh, to literally take on the pains of this life, knowing ahead of time he's gonna die a brutal death to take our sins from us, only so he can rise again and offer us eternal life in him away from all the pain and death and chaos of this life. And he's offering you 
a front row seat. He's inviting you into that life. Maybe for some of us, we just haven't really clued in to the grandeur and the magnitude of what's on offer here. But here's the second reason, I think probably the most popular one. I think we just don't want to lose control. Because here's the trick with that RSVP. For as much as I want to say I'm distracted, there's a deeper reason. And that reason is I want to keep my options open. Because you see, once you say yes to something, you're automatically saying no to everything else. To give an RSVP, you're locking yourself in. And when you say yes to this, you are necessarily saying no to these other things. And we don't like to say no. We don't like to cut off options. We want to keep all our options open. Furthermore, when I say yes to this wedding, please understand, that means that's going to take up a lot of my day. And I got to dress up. And I need to bring a gift. Like their expectations when you go to a wedding, they're not bad. That's just what you should expect when you come to a wedding. And so you have to make changes in your life. You have to get prepared for it. You have to invest in it. And no, you don't get to do anything like that. And if these people didn't grow up in the South and happen to plan their wedding on a Saturday in the fall, I don't know why they did that. You're missing games. And you don't even know what the games are yet because they asked you in like March and you haven't seen the schedule. And you're like, I don't know if I can do that. I'm giving up something. It's bad that we all laughed at that. Like, you all knew exactly what it was. <laughs> oh, man, we're so messed up. All right, so. <laughs> but but you, you got to make an investment, which is why we won't do it. We'll say, well, when the schedule comes out, then I'll see. Well, when I see if this other thing doesn't pan out, then I'll see. Which is why for some of you, when Jesus Christ comes to you and says, will you give me your life, I want to give you eternal life. He says, I love that offer. Let's just hold on for a minute. Hey, let me go do a few more things and then we'll see. Hey, let me go try it my way for a few more years and then we'll see. Hey, let me go invest in this sin for a little while and see if it pans out and then we'll see. I don't know if I want to check that box yet because I know when I do and I give my life to you, I necessarily have to stop saying, I have to start saying no to myself. I say no to this sin. I say no to, to what I wanted. I say no to these other things. And I surrender myself to you. And so for some of us, we hear the invitation, but we don't respond. And I wonder if some of us are finally weary enough from the world, weary enough from our sin, weary enough from the disappointment, weary enough from the discouragement, weary enough from the pain and the chaos of this life that maybe finally our eyes are open to the majesty and the magnitude of this invitation that is given to us at Christmas. God is offering himself to you and says, will you come to me? I've come all this way. Will you come this last step? Will you come to me? See, that's what all these people do for the shepherds. When they hear this invitation, they said, let's go. Let's go see this thing that was told to us. And they grab the whole flock and they move it and they go to see the baby that was born. When the wise men hear the invitation, they say, let's go. 
And they pack up their stuff. And this is not like heading over to the Galleria. It's a little bit out of the way. I don't know the traffic's bad, but we can go over there for a few minutes. This is a long journey, a costly journey, a dangerous journey. They said, no, grab all the stuff. Grab great gifts. We're going. And they make this long journey to see him. When Jesus says, won't you come to the disciples, they say, let's go. And they drop their nets. And they drop their plans and their dreams and they chase after the Messiah who changes them. When the burden hear the invitation to come, they say, yes, Lord. And they take his yoke upon them and they find it light and they find rest in him. And when the little children see him beckon them forward, they just run to him and throw their arms around him and say, you're wonderful. The invitation has come to you. That is not in doubt. You have received a personal invitation. Holy Spirit delivered specifically to you. Handwritten, engraved by the Spirit. He is inviting you. And I don't know where you are. I don't know where you've been. I just know the invitation has been sent. The only thing that remains now is for you to reply Will you come? Will you come and find new life in him? Will you say no to all this stuff? Your so-called wisdom, your so-called control, your so-called joy that you hang on to but is never as joyous as you try to make it out to be and recognize that the God of the heavens has sent his son to die in your place He is risen again and alive and sends his spirit in this moment to invite you deeper in than you've ever been before. Won't you come? It's the invitation he gives. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. We're going to spend some time in worship, some extended time, and I want you to really meditate on that for a moment. Jesus Christ has offered this to you. He's inviting you even now. In just a moment, Hayes and Bethany and the team are going to sing a song over us and we're going to have an opportunity just to kind of meditate on that. And I hope you recognize that this is, this is for you. He's speaking to you. And, and again, I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're re- dealing with. I don't, I don't know where you are spiritually. I, I just know that he's giving this invitation to you and, and, and it begs a response. And after Hayes and Bethany sing, these altars are going to be open. I'm going to be standing here up at the front and maybe you just need to come and spend some time with the Lord. Don't wait. Don't put him off yet again. If he calls, why don't you Come. I'll be standing here in front of you say, Adam, I I don't know this Jesus. I've been putting him off for years. I've been putting him off for decades. Can today be the day that you finally say yes to him? And say, I need him. If he hasn't given up on me, if he's willing to forgive me, I need him. If he still loves me, I need him. Can today be the day of salvation? I'll be right up here in front. I'd love to pray with you. Let today be that day. You can stand, you can sit, and you can kneel, but... Don't wait. Don't put it off. Let's respond. The invitation has been sent. 
but he waits on our response. And so, Father, I ask that you would help us. Thank you so much that we're not excluded, we're not rejected, we're not overlooked or left out or forgotten. Though, quite frankly, we would deserve to be. But you didn't. And so for every single person here, Father, would you meet us where we are and beckon us forward? And Father, give us the faith to simply say yes to you. So Father, speak now and we will respond.